What in the world is wrong with the world? Isn't that a valid question right now? Doesn't it seem like that's a question that we could pose in so many different ways? Certainly as we've watched this week, some of the experience that we as a country have walked through, when we think about what is wrong, it's hard to answer that sometimes, isn't it? Is it a political solution that we need? Is it simply a medical solution to a virus that causes so many other challenges that we face? Is there other things that we could solve, especially when we think of dialogue between different racial and ethnic groups? What is wrong there that can be fixed and altered in order for us to be able to move forward positively? And I don't know about you, but these are questions that I often ponder, especially when I'm in the car and I think about sort of what the state of our reality is. What's wrong? And if something is wrong, how can it be fixed so that there's not so much wrong anymore? Years and years ago, that question was posed by a newspaper in England to a whole series of experts and different people in the community, including an author by the name of G.K. Chesterton. Now, this story is also considered apocryphal. There's um, no evidence for it in terms of finding the actual letter that was sent and the response that G.K. Chesterton gave to the Times of London. Um, but it has been told for a long, long time, and its truth, I think, certainly bears witness to us this morning. So I'm going to share it on believing that at least there's a great of truth there. As the Times shared this question with a whole bunch of dignitaries, politicians, great thinkers, philosophers, both in England and in the rest of the world, they slowly but surely got back responses, as you can well imagine. Some of those responses were pages in length. Those who are academics often don't say anything very quickly or simply. They had to speak of complexities and challenges that the world faces. But G.K. Chesterton, a Christian thinker and writer who's been around for a very long time, you can see and read some of his writings today, simply gave this response. He said, Dear sirs, you asked the question, what is the problem with the world? My answer is this. I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. That was his response. I'm the problem. And what's striking to me about that answer is I actually think it's very biblical. Especially in light of our text this morning where we're going to be coming close to the end of the book of Job as we finish the voices of humanity speaking about suffering and challenge. Elihu, this is the last speech given by anyone who is except God, later on we'll hear Job's response to God, and it's very short and to the point, but this is really the longest speech that is left. And as Elihu shares the truth that he feels the Spirit has given him with Job and the other three friends, what we will hear is Elihu, in essence, echoing those words of G.K. Chesterton, that the problem with the world, in no small part, is me. It is us. How do we think about that in a world that certainly we know to be broken and fallen? That's our work this morning. And we pray God's blessing on our time of learning and growing today. Would you join me in that prayer? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, be present with us as we dig deeply into your word, understand more fully 
what it is that you call us to live into and understand as your followers. How it is that we receive your calls to repentance in our hearts and minds. How you, how you move in our hearts that we would be prompted to come closer to you, more deeply in love with you. Lord, that we might respond with conviction, Lord, with repentance, and Lord, with a commitment that we can be responsible in as much as you need us in being a part of our transformation, and that's what we can change. Lord, that's the work we want today. Do it in Jesus' name in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're turning in your Bibles with me to Job chapter 36. We're going to begin with the first 15 verses there. I encourage you to have your Bibles open that we can look at this together. It says this there. Elihu continued. He had had four chapters of his first speech to Job and his friends. Now he comes with this. Bear with me a little longer. <clears throat> And I will show you that there is more to be said in God's behalf. I get my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe justice to my maker. Be assured that my words are not false. One who has perfect knowledge is with you. God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted afflicted their rights. He does not take his eyes off the righteous. He enthrones them with kings and exalts them forever. But if people are bound in chains, held fast by cords of affliction, he tells them what they have done, that they have sinned arrogantly. He makes them listen to correction and commands them to repent of their evil. If they obey and serve them, serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. But if they do not listen, they will perish by the sword and die without knowledge. The godless in heart harbor resentment. Even when he fetters them, they do not cry for help. They die in their youth among male prostitutes of the shrines. But those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. As we begin sort of again jumping into Elihu's sharing of what he believes to be true in his wisdom, there's almost a phrase there, well, there is a verse here that almost sounds like a level of arrogance. It is in verse four. It's, he says this, be assured that my words are not false. One who has perfect knowledge is with you. If someone were to stand up in this venue and say, boy, I have something perfect to share with you, we might say, boy, that guy or that woman has a pride problem, right? But he begins that little section by saying this, I get my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe justice to my maker. Remember, last week we talked about Elihu being patient. He had listened to all the speeches of Job and his friends. He had been patient in his listening and sought the Spirit's guidance to speak, as we heard in the previous chapters. And now, out of that patience and listening to the Spirit, he feels equipped to share what it is that he says. And a good reminder again to us, 
That so often we live in a world where it's the quick comeback, right? The drop of the mic moment where we see something, hear something that maybe we don't, disagree, don't agree with or, or want to push back on and we make a statement so quickly. And the quicker we can make that sort of statement, the better, right? You almost, maybe you've been, had that experience of timing where you think about the perfect response to something like a minute and a half later and you know it's not going to work, right? It's not going to work anymore. We live in a world where that quick comeback is something that people long for, but that's not the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word is to be patient, to be wise in our response based on what it is that the Spirit tells us. It's a good lesson for us this morning. The second lesson, which is so important, and this is the key to today's teaching and learning for us, is that repentance is an important step in our suffering. Look at what verse 11 says this. It says this, if they obey, someone has heard from the Spirit, somebody has been afflicted by God and God has spoke to them, if they obey and serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperities and their years in contentment. Repentance is key to us growing more deeply in our relationship with Christ, right? And we know that, yes, that is the Spirit's work among us. We ascribe to God that movement even of the Spirit to move us to repentance, of course. But there is a human response that where we need to engage. We need to engage in repentance ourselves. And here's the thing. Here's what we do. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but this is my experience all the time. If someone says something like that, that someone should repent in order to improve their relationship and walk with Jesus and his people, here's what I think. I think, oh yeah, that's a great phrase. Dale really needs to hear that, right? Laurel, boy, if she heard that, that would be life transforming for her. But what Job is giving us and reminding us of is, that's for you. That's for me. These are statements and responses that I engage with where we even are reminded of what G.K. Chesterton said. I am the problem. And here's the reality too. I can't change Dale. I can't fix Laurel. As much as I might want to. I've been married to Kristen for almost 27 years. And if there's anyone who I'm going to change, it's going to be her. Let me tell you, that's not going well. I know, we all know, we can't change another. But as the Spirit moves in us, we can be responsible for us. And that impacts our world. We wonder what is wrong? Well, as we become more deeply right with God through the Spirit's transformation of us, yes, it's God's work in us. But as we become more right with the world, the world becomes more redeemed. I can't fix others, but I have this, and this can be a place of God's transformation. The passage continues, verse 16. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction to the comfort of your table laden with choice food but now you are laden with judgment do the wicked judgment and justice have taken hold of you be careful that no one entices you by riches 
Do not let a large bribe turn you aside. Would your wealth or even all your mighty efforts sustain you so that so you would not be in distress? Do not long for the night to drag people away from their homes. Beware of turning to evil, which you seem to prefer to affliction. God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has prescribed his ways for him or said to him, you have done wrong? Remember to extol his work, which people have praised in song. All humanity has seen it. Mortals gaze on it from afar. How great is God beyond our understanding? The number of his years is past finding out. He draws up the drops of water, which distill as rain to the streams. The clouds pour down their moisture, and abundant showers fall on mankind. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds? How he thunders from his pavilion? See how he scatters his lightning about him, bathing the depths of the sea. This is the way he governs the nations and provides food in abundance. He fills his hand with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. His thunder announces the coming storm. Even the cattle make known his approach. Elihu is really saying to Job, especially in the first portion of that text we just read, you have an opportunity to draw closer to God now, Job. God has shown himself to you. God has made known his truth to you. And you have the opportunity. He's wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place. Will you go where it is that he calls you to go? Will you respond? And there are other enticements out there, right? We can, instead of taking our own responsibility, we can put our trust in other things. Job could pursue wealth. He could pursue recognition. He could pursue popularity or position or whatever. And really, what Elihu is saying there is that these are enticements that draw you away from the most key thing, and that is looking inside your own heart. And that happens, doesn't it? We, we can see the things around us and we can say, I, I do this, I actually do this all the time. There's places in my life where I need to work personally or in my own private life, in my own private place. You know what I often do instead of working on those things? I work harder on other stuff. I work harder in other places. I try to achieve things. I try to achieve success success in other places. Why? Because by doing that, then I can get sort of some of the positive stuff that I'm looking for without having really to deal with the problem. Because the problem is me. The problem is my heart. And we can use those distractions oftentimes, whether it be personal or professional, whether it be in relationships or whatever, instead of doing that, there's this actually a phrase that we use oftentimes called the wounded healer. Somebody who gets involved in solving other problems so they don't have to deal with their own. And that can happen to us as followers of Christ so that we don't deal with the rest of the world that's in us. We deal with the rest of the world that's outside of us because this is hard. Being transformed by the spirit is hard. Asking those hard questions, what is this that God is doing in me is so very, very hard. And here's the thing, right? We know we may even be people that are those difficult people who don't want to admit their own problems. Anybody know anybody like that? Anybody married to anybody like that? Dare you to put up your hand. 
right? We know people who are not willing to take responsibility for their own stuff. And those are some of the most difficult people that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, aren't they? Those are people who are ignoring the Spirit's movement in their lives and saying, oftentimes, right, it's someone else's fault. Does anybody know anybody who blames other people for their own problems? We all do. And maybe it's you. See, that's the thing. We can do it for somebody else. Can we hear it for ourselves? Is it you? Is it you who say, if only... If only this would get fixed. If only this would change. If only God would do this in my life, then I would respond to the Spirit's movement in me and I would be transformed and life would be so good. And what God is saying to you, and he's saying to me this morning, I've already shown up. I've already spoken. I've already shown you my grace and my love and my transformation Look at this, friends. Has God shown up? Of course he has. We are in this place watching this. Even some of you right now, I'm a little warm. I'm standing outside in January, a little warm, in blue sky and mountains in the background. If that's not a sign of God's provision and presence in my life, I don't know what is. Because I could go 2,000 miles to the east and have a whole different experience and God be praised. It's not what he's called me to. God has shown up. And the question is, what are we doing to respond? What is Job doing to respond? What are God's people listening to when God shows up? Are they using that as fuel to point to another? Or they're instead receiving it as God's showing up and calling me to be changed? The passage continues, chapter 37. This my heart pounds leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven, sends it to the ends of the earth. After that comes the sound of his roar. He thunders with his majestic voice. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on the earth. And to the rain shower, be a mighty downpour. So that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber. The cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice and the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. Elihu is clearly excited about God's great power. He begins to name those things, right? The clouds, the rain, the snow, All the beauty of creation as it makes manifest his glory to all who would hear it. And Elihu is certainly excited about that. But what's really, really important about hearing about God's power, and we're not even to chapter 38 and following. When we get to chapter 38 and following, we're going to hear God speak about his power, and it's on a whole different level. 
But what Elihu is saying in the power of God is that, yes, it is there to sustain his creation, to give the gift of all people, of his love and provision. But you cannot read all these verses from 37.5, for example, where it says this, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding without going back to chapter 36, verse 8, where it says, but if people are bound in chains held fast by courts of affliction, he tells them what they have done. The omnipotent, all-present God of creation who rose the mountains up and gave us the skies of blue and the warmth of the sunshine is someone who knows Matt Heckman dearly. Who knows Don Bierman better than anyone else on the planet. And in that intense personal relationship says to all of us, here's what it is that I call you to do. Here here is how it is that I call you to live in thanksgiving and response to every good gift I have given you. The powerful God of all of creation is intensely personal who says to you, I love you and I'm changing you every day if you would, but listen to my voice. That's the beauty of the God that we know. Yes, power beyond measure. Take the greatest superheroes that you can possibly imagine, jam them all into one, and you have but a sliver of the power of God. And yet, out of that power, he says, I know your name. I know your life. Enough that I know... I need to transform it through my grace, the grace I offer in my son, Jesus Christ, that has come to give you life and hope and a plan and a purpose. And I whisper to you each day of his spirit, but will you listen? You, not the other, not that guy over there, not her in the corner, but you listen to my voice. Passage concludes. Verse 14, listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you know how God controls the clouds? Makes his lightning flash? Do you know how the clouds hang poised, those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies? Skies hard as a mirror of cast bronze. Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun bright as it is in the skies after the wind has swept them clean. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness he does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him, for he does not have regard for all the wise in heart. Zelahu closes his speech. He's in essence laying groundwork for what's to come next. This is where I'm excited to get as we begin 2021. I love chapter 38 and following. 
I love what God begins to share with us today in our space and in our time as he shared it with Job and his friends in this moment of great suffering. In this moment of complexity where Job doesn't know what to do because things are too great for him, God speaks his words of power and love to Job. We need to hear those words. I'm excited about next week and the next couple weeks ahead. As we think about that, verse 14 is powerful. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider Job's wonders. What he's really saying to Job is, you're so caught up in your stuff. You're so caught up in your own reality that you haven't been able to take a moment and do this. To listen to God's voice to you in the chirping of a bird. To bear witness to God's love for you as you consider mountains that have been there since the beginning of time as we know it. That on a day like today where we experience the beauty of God and are reminded that beauty is eternal and life-giving for all of creation. Seven billion people today will be sustained by the life-giving force offered by God in his creation. When we consider those sort of works and wonders, how small do our problems get? How much more minor do our issues become when we understand and consider the great wonders of God before us that have been around for our entire lifetime and a hundred and hundred lifetimes before? That's what's going to happen next. That's what, that's what God is going to share with Job and his friends. But at the end of the day, Elihu, with all of this, He's holding Job accountable. We hear it. He says this. Tell us what we should say to him, verse 19. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? As Job considers the wonders of God, does he have a voice before a creator who has given all good things? Who whispers in the ear of Job, come back to me, be in relationship with me. He's holding Job accountable for how he faces the suffering that he's experiencing. And friends, we're accountable too. I believe very strongly that what we are facing with the challenges in our world, there's many things going on, I understand that. I also believe it is a significant time of testing for each believer. What do you believe? Do you believe that the problems are outward in our world where if this were fixed, that were fixed, this were transformed, this changed, this problem solved, then everything would be fine? Or instead, do you and I willingly ask the question, have your way with me, oh God, because I don't know what needs to be changed. That's not a question, that's a statement. Come, Lord Jesus, come and make me more like you want me to be. To not look outward for the solutions, but look inward to what God and Christ and the Spirit are doing in us, friends. 
I firmly believe sometimes we just need to turn off all news and mo- social media so that we don't have more coming in because the more that we come in, the more that comes in, the more we are distracted from what's inside ourselves. We can change this. I can't fix. I can't fix any of you. You can't fix me. Frankly, I won't let you. But God can change me. And I can be a part of that transformation. You can be a part of your transformation with the Spirit's leading. And that's hope. Because here's what I know what happens when we are transformed. The world doesn't change. But we are. The problems aren't any less. But we have strength we didn't have before. The conflict is still real. But our peace grows. That's work that God does within us. Here's what I promise you this week. If you read news, open your web browser. If you see any sort of information, if you are on social media, at some time this week, you are going to probably get a little frustrated with something. If you involve yourself with people in any way, you are going to get frustrated at some point this week. Here's my exercise for you. What will you do in that moment? What will you do in that moment? Here's my encouragement. My encouragement is to do this. My encouragement is for a moment consider the wonders that God has given all of us. To consider the beauty of his presence in your life and in your world. And be reminded that that powerful God who set all of this in place loves you. He knows you by name. And he's calling to you to come more deeply in relationship with him through the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. When those moments come, take a breath. Consider the works of the hands of the living God. Problem won't change. That post person won't be different. The situation won't be altered. But you will. It's the gift of the Spirit in us. It's the gift of Christ's presence in us. Let's pray. Thank you for your personal reminder to us, O God of creation. God of all people, time and space, you've called us by name. You are present in our world and in our lives, asking us to draw more deeply to you. Lord, we can look outward. We can deflect responsibility to the world around us. But Job, as the most righteous man of his moment, was being called by you, was being called by you wanting. Wanting because Job had forgotten. Don't let us forget. Don't let us forget what it means to be more deeply in tune with you, connected to you, intimate with you. 
that we allow you to come through your Holy Spirit to change us, change us in the moments we face so that, Lord, we don't look elsewhere for the answer. We look to you. We don't look elsewhere for responsibility. We look inside. And we say, we need you more and more. We need more of Jesus. And then we want to share that Jesus with the world around us. That's work that you and you alone can do in us. We ask you to do it today. In Jesus' name, amen.